We're continuing with our sermon series, I See Beauty. We're preaching through the seven letters from Jesus to the churches in Asia Minor. And this morning, I'll be doing the letter to the church in Thyatra. I'm going to read through that in a moment. But before we do that, can we pray? Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your word. And your word is powerful to change our lives, to make us better people and better Christians. Lord, I pray that this morning you change our hearts through the preaching of your word. We thank you, Lord, so much for this life-changing truth. And Lord, where this message to the church in Thyatira is relevant to our lives, and I trust that it will be relevant to each one of us, Lord, I pray that you make it come alive. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Okay, Revelation chapter 2 from verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. Let me just interrupt this passage of Scripture to say there's not a lot of gentle Jesus, meek and mild in here, but this is the Son of God speaking, so we pay attention. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, in other words, those that were not caught up in this sinful behavior with Jezebel, to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end To him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're looking for a a title for my message today, it would be Increasing Fruitfulness. That, I think, is the theme which Jesus is speaking about. The pattern of this letter follows the pattern of uh, of that to the other seven churches, or the other six churches, seven in total. First, there's an introduction to Jesus as the counselor. There's a commendation. In most cases, there's a criticism. In two of the seven letters, there wasn't any criticism at all. Then there's a correction, and then there's the conqueror's promise. And you can see that that pattern is revealed. I want to start talking about glorious works, the glorious works that are referenced in this, and then I want to contrast this letter to the first letter, the letter to the Ephesians. 
Listen to what Jesus says at the beginning. He says, I know your works. Your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance. And then this bit I love. And that your latter works exceed the first. I want to stand before God one day and hear those words. I know your works. Your love and your faith. Remember, that, and you see this throughout the New Testament, that the essence of our lives as Christians is faith working through love. Uh, Paul said that in the letter to Galatians in chapter 5. He says, in Christ, none of this stuff matters. He was talking about circumcision. He says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision matters. What really matters is faith working through love. That's what it's all about. But remember that James, he says, faith without works is dead or it's useless. So our faith manifests itself in works. And and what Jesus is saying to this church, he says, I know your works, your faith and your love. So he's saying, you're getting it right. Your works are the representation or the manifestation of what's inside of you, your faith and your love. When he, when he starts in the, the first letter, the letter to the, to the church in Ephesus, he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. No love, no faith. And that was why they fell short. Later he says to them, but this I have against you that you have abandoned your first love. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. Jesus doesn't call them back to some sweet holy moment sitting in the glow of his goodness and his love. I mean, all of that is true, but he says, return to your former works. I want your love and your faith and your intimacy with me to manifest in works, in fruitful labor. So interestingly, in Romans 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 19 and 20, Paul says, be excellent in what is good, be innocent of evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Now, spiritual warfare and casting out demons from people, which is what Jesus did, it's hugely relevant. That's an essential part of, of the ministry of the church. But Paul suggests here, be excellent in what is good. Get the basics of Christian living right. Be innocent of evil. The church in Thyatira didn't get that right because they were tolerating evil in their midst. And the God of peace will crush Satan underneath your feet. So what he's suggesting is, yes, there's a place for spiritual warfare. But sometimes when you're doing the basics right, when you're living a life of faith, and demonstrating love, and you're staying far away from evil, you will walk in the footsteps of Jesus, looking at your king, and you will trample on serpents and scorpions, and you won't even notice it. God will be crushing the devil underneath your feet because you're doing the basics, because you're demonstrating fruitfulness in Christ. And what's interesting, in contrasting these two churches, the church in Ephesus was getting the one aspect right. They were being innocent of evil, they weren't tolerating the bad doctrine, but they'd lost their first love. They were no longer being excellent in what is good. By contrast, the church in Thyatira, they were being brilliant at loving too much. In fact, there was a little bit too much love in their church. Jesus references the sexual immorality. Obviously, there, was, there can never be too much godly love, but there was fleshly, sensual love as well. Um, so they were doing that right, but they had 
got wrong, this aspect of being innocent of evil, because they had allowed it to, to become a part of their, uh, their, their, their gathering, their behavior, their conduct as churches. Um, but this, uh, what, what Jesus is saying here um, to the church, I know your, your works, your faith, your love, your service, your patient endurance, that you keep, that you keep on going and that your latter works exceed the first. So you are more fruitful now than you were in the beginning. The church in Ephesus, they started strong. And if you read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it's very clear. This is a thriving, prosperous, fruitful church. There's lots of love in the church. But maybe 20 or 30 years later, they'd abandoned their first love. The church in Thyatira, they built on their first love and their latter works now exceeded the first. And I must also highlight that it wasn't everybody in the church in Thyatira that had been led astray by Jezebel. That many were, they were refusing to associate with that. So they were keeping themselves innocent of evil. And Jesus has this to say to them. He says, but to those, to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, I say to you, I lay on you no other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. So what he's saying is this pattern of Christian living, your works of faith, love, service, and patient endurance, and that you increase in those, that's exactly what I want you to do. So it's thumbs up to those guys. Just some other scripture references, just as we go through the, the New Testament. Um, Matthew 25, 21, and 23 is the parable of the talents. And it's such a lovely echo of what Jesus is saying to the church in Thyatira, saying, I know your works and, and you, you guys are doing well. Of course, the, to the one that was given five talents and then produced another five, and then to the one that was given two talents and produced another two, you know, so worked with what he or she had been given, Jesus said, well done my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, therefore I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So there's that similar commendation. You've done well, well done. And this is what Jesus is saying to the, 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 the guys who are getting it right in Thyatira as well. And just a comment as well. Jesus says, when you do the, the, the works of my father, joy will follow. There is nothing more fruitful more life-giving, more joy-filled than working and co-laboring with Jesus. And that's why he says, then enter into the joy of your master. Um, Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 6, this is, and just highlighting that these, are, that these are living works, acts of devotion, not dead works. So the Galatian church, perhaps much like the church in Ephesus 30 years later, had um, th they'd moved they had gone astray from the principal message of grace. And Paul says to them there, he says, did, did he who gives you the Holy Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do that by acts of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's saying that God, God works in you because of your faith. And your faith produces works, but there must be living works, acts of devotion, not acts of duty. Uh, of course, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in doing good. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Um, Titus, of course, this is a delightful 
um, somewhat neglected book, letter in the Bible, Paul's letter to Titus, and he references good works again and again. So Titus chapter 2, verse 7, he says to Titus, who is a young man, he says, show yourself to be a model of good works. Then in 14, he says, be zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, be ready for good works. And then 8 and 14, he repeats the same sentence. He says, be devoted to a life of good works. So lots of scriptures here. Um, Titus in particular, I just find a stirring book and inspiring, so maybe have a look at that. Uh, and then Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. And I must say, I've learned a lot from the book of Revelation in, uh, in preparing for this. When Pierre first said that he wanted to tackle these seven letters to the churches in Revelation, um, I, I thought that was really bold. You know, for me as a Christian, and I love my Bible, you know, I'm passionate about memorizing Scripture and, you know, writing it on my heart. But for me, the book of Revelation has always been a little bit on the shelf. You know, it's just a little bit too weird uh, and a little bit too difficult to understand and very symbolic and poetic. But going through these letters, I've, I've learned so much and I've become particularly passionate about this letter and, and the emphasis that the Lord Jesus places on these good works. And we have this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. John has this open vision of the church, of the bride of Christ. And he says there, well, actually, I think it's the angels or the elders that are singing. And they say, to her it is given to be clothed in fine linen. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the, the bride, on that great and glorious day, when the bride, the church, us, when she is connected to Jesus, that this, the whole mystery of faith and what God is doing through the ages, when it, when it finally is accomplished, she will be clothed in the righteous deeds, the good works of Christian people, of you and me. So that, this, this is not just good works, they're glorious works that Jesus is inspiring us towards. Um, I want to talk a little bit about increasing fruitfulness, but I'm going to make a couple of other points and I'm going to loop back to that. I want to talk about, because I, I, I know everybody loves hearing about this kind of stuff, sin, wrath, and judgment. <laughs> so there's, Jesus has some stern words here. He talks about this woman Jezebel, um, and, and I think, you know, it's not, it's, it, it seems that this is a, a real woman, um, but in the biblical context, we, we often talk about a, a Jezebel spirit, and I think it would be wrong to associate that just with woman. You know, I, th I think we must be very careful in, in our church context not to, you know, not, not, if, you, if you see something in a woman you don't like in church, to say, well, maybe she's got a Jezebel spirit. That would be very wrong. I think it applies to both men and women, and it's a spirit that resists authority, that is rebellious, that... Uh, pursues sexual immorality and idol worship. And idol worship in perhaps the first century where you've got, you know, the Romans had all these gods and the Greeks had all their gods and people actually physically worshipped idols that were made out of wood or metal or whatever the case may be. Um, that doesn't happen in modern day society. But there are idols and there is idol worship and there is idolatry nonetheless. Think about money, success, fame, popularity, 
You know, all those kinds of things. Those are idols that our modern 21st century uh, society pursues as well. So, yeah, I just wanted to make that point about Jezebel. But there's the spirit nonetheless, and Jesus tackles it very, 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 very hard and, and warns that if there is not repentance, and he's talking to people in a church context. He's talking about somebody that is a part of this church and saying that she and those who follow her need to repent. Otherwise, these dreadful consequences will, will come upon her and those who follow her. So, um, I will throw her onto a sickbed. I will throw her into great tribulation unless they, she and they repent. I will strike her children dead. This is stern stuff. This is in the New Testament. But this is how seriously God takes these issues. I'd like to read briefly from Romans chapter 1. Um, and now Paul is building a case for the guilt of all mankind, both the uh, that the pagan sinner and those that are religious, even the even Jewish people. But he says that the wrath of God, this is chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. If we flip over to chapter 2, reading from verse 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteousness, righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. Remember, that's what Jesus said to the church in Theatra. All the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each one according to his works. So again, back to Romans, verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience in well-doing, good works, doing well, seek for glory and honor and immortality, and he will give to them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So let us not presume that God is so loving and so kind that he will sweep our sins underneath the carpet of the universe. God has a solution for sin, and that it is that we repent and that we come to faith in Christ. If we don't do that, we are lost for eternity. That's what Paul is saying in Romans. And through the New Testament, um, often Paul will list sins. And it's interesting to me that in Revelation, and in this book, this letter to Theatra, and the one before Pergamum and a few of the others, he specifically highlights sexual immorality. And if you think about um, Galatians chapter 5, just before Paul speaks about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, he says, but the works of the flesh are evident. And then there's a long list. Number one, sexual immorality. Ephesians chapter uh, 5, uh, verse, starting from verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of God as dear children. Imitate your heavenly Father and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrifice and a sweet-smelling offering. But let sexual immorality not even be named amongst you. And then he goes through a bit of a list again, but again, sexual immorality is number one. Um, I, I want to read briefly from Colossians chapter 3, and I, I appreciate that there's a lot of scripture here, but I think it's important that we understand just the emphasis that, that the New Testament places on these things. Colossians chapter 3, 
Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He's going to give us a list again. What's number one? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Again, an echo to Romans. And if you, if you go into the next letter, <laughs> 1 Thessalonians, he says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, your set-apartness, that you that you stay away from sexual immorality. So I know this is an unpopular thing to preach in church, but I think as a church, this is something that we need to talk about. You know, in, in the way we train and we raise our children, in the way we teach children in Sunday school, in the way in which we think about and engage with each other so as adults, this, the warning of Jesus needs to be fresh in our minds. So that's the issue of sin, wrath, and judgment. My third point, um, I've called training for an eternal destiny. And again, think about the parable of the talents. Jesus said to the, the faithful servants, the one that was given five and then made another five, and the one that was given two and then invested that in, and, and earned another two, he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, so I will set you over much. And there's this implication that in the kingdom of God, um, here on earth, but also in heaven and for eternity, there will be responsibility given to the saints that prove themselves faithful. And that's why I've, uh, I've indicated here that we are in training for an eternal de destiny. Our life on earth is temporary. Our life on earth is, has been entrusted to us by God. We, we are stewards of these few years that we have. And he expects us to train and develop and equip ourselves for an eternal destiny. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this letter to Thyatira. Now, um, in all of the other letters, um, Jesus, he, there's some kind of promise at the end. He says, to the one who conquers so reading from verse 26 here in chapter 2, the letter to Thyatira, he says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Now in all of the other letters, there's a similar promise, but it doesn't involve responsibility. So I'll give you a few examples. So the letter to the, to, to the church in Ephesus. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. So there's a, there's a blessing here. Smyrna. To the one who conquers, I will give the crown of life. Pergamum, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Sardis, to the one who conquers, he will be clothed thus in white garments. Philadelphia, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar. To the church in Laodicea, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So for each of the seven letters, there's a blessing. But for six of them, there's, there's a blessing or a promise. But the six of them, you can, you can relate to the, the blessing and the promise. It, it doesn't contain uh, the concept of work or responsibility. But in the church to Thyatira, he says, I will give authority to rule over the nations. And it's interesting to me that this letter, which contains the word work or works more than any of the other letters, and where that church seemed to be getting those that were, had not been led astray by Jezebel, it, it, it seemed that those who were living this life, this fruitful life of, 
um, of good works that he was saying to him, what you're doing is, is right and good, and because you have proved yourself faithful here on earth, I will give you authority and responsibility for all eternity. So what we do here on earth is so important and relevant for what we will do for all eternity. And it's important that we live faithfully uh, and are increasingly fruitful for God. So I want to talk now about increasing fruitfulness. So it's very clear in the New Testament, well, it's, it's, it's true in, throughout the Bible. I mean, Jesus said to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nation. So throughout Scripture, God has made it very clear that he expects us to be fruitful, to be a blessing to others. Think about John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine. In verse 1, he says, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. We'll come back to that in a moment. But he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, uh, without me you can do nothing. There's this, this image of us being plugged in, deeply connected to Jesus. And because of that, because he is rooted in the Father, because he is the eternal source of life, we can be fruitful. But in, in verse 1 and 2, he says, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus says he wants us to be fruitful, but increasingly fruitful. If we submit ourselves to the pruning of the Father, the vine dresser, the gardener, then we'll become increasingly fruitful. Jesus said later in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So he is the vine, we are the branches, we're plugged into him. He wants us to be fruitful, but increasingly so. And if we are not fruitful, then we'll be removed. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 and 23. Uh, we're going to talk, this, this talks to the concept of retirement. Paul says, um, in the, in the, in the run-up to this, he says, whether I live or die, because he's talking about he's being in chains, he's in prison, he's writing to the Philippian church, he says, you know, whatever happens to me, whether I live or I die, I want Christ to be magnified in me. And then he says in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live, that means fruitful labor to me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that would be far better. And he goes on to say, yet, yet I know that I'm going to be hanging around for a little bit longer because you guys need me and the, and the Lord has still got a lot for me to do. But interesting how he says, and Paul's now an old man, and he's, 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 he is coming to the end of his life, and he says later in Philippians, I've run the race, you know, I've fought the good fights, I've kept the faith, he, this, this life of incredible fruitfulness. But he says, if I am to keep on living, that means fruitful labor to me. Um, I'm blessed and honored to have my mom and dad-in-law here in church with me today, um, and they retired, and dad built a successful business, and, and um, Philip's brother Simon is now running that, and it's, and it's doing well, and, and he's retired now, but they know well that as Christians, they are not retired. 
Because even when we are older in the Lord, He wants us still to be fruitful. He wants us still to be living a life of good works. And Paul echoes that when he says, if I am to live, that means fruitful labor to me. Speaking about increasing, Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He wants, he's saying God wants you to grow and increase in knowledge of God and also in good works. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and kingdom, there will be no end. We serve a king whose kingdom is growing. We are on the front foot as the army of God, and God wants us to increase uh, in our fruitfulness and effectiveness. And, and, you know, Paul would often exhort and encourage. For instance, uh, the, letter to, the first letter to Thessalonians, chapter 4, he says, no one needs to talk to you about love. You guys are brilliant at loving one another. Throughout Macedonia, they talk about what a loving church you are. He says, but I just ask this, that you do it more and more, that you continue to grow, that you continue to express yourself in love. And, and Paul constantly is encouraging and inspiring uh, the church is under his care towards greater fruitfulness. Uh, but that's, and that stems from an intimacy and a closeness with God, from, a no, from, from, being, being knowing, from knowing God. And I often like to say the meaning of life, the very essence of why we are created is to know God. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says in, in the high priestly prayer, praying in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, and this is eternal life. Definition to follow. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Paul himself, in, in motivating us as the church to, to be fruitful in good works, he was the one in Philippians chapter 3, said he spoke about the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And he said, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already made it, not that I've already got there, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. He says, my brothers and sisters, I don't count myself to have made it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to that which is, lies ahead, I press on. I want to live a life of increasing knowledge and intimacy with God and increasing fruitfulness in Him as well. So from this person that understood that the core, the essence of our lives as Christians is to know God, throughout his letters, he encourages greater fruitfulness as well. I want to close off with um, a scripture from Second Peter um, starting going from verse 2 all the way down to verse 10. This is, this is a scripture that I've had written on my heart for 25 years. It's, I, I, love, I love these words. Let me take it from the top, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Um, and I, I, I laugh a little bit 
Um, Peter, later in the same letter, he refers to the writings of Paul and, and his letters, and he says sometimes they're quite difficult to understand. And if you've, if you've gone through the New Testament, I think you can agree. You know, Paul deals with weighty issues. Anyway, the point is, is that Peter's obviously read a lot of Paul's writings. He's read a lot of his letters, and he knows that at the beginning of every letter, uh, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God. Uh, and I'll, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the words to that effect. And uh, I can just imagine Peter thinking, oh, you know, I've, I've got to go one better. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, so it said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So can, let me take it from the top and then we'll unpack it. Um, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which have been given to us very great and precious promised blessings, so that by means of them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control endurance or steadfastness, to steadfastness godliness, to godliness brotherly affection, to brotherly affection love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever is lacking in these qualities is nearsighted to the point of blindness and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make your election and your calling sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. There's so much in there. There's so much richness. What I want to highlight is right from the word go, he, he makes it very clear that the grace and the peace of God all of this divine power, these great and precious promised blessings can only be accessed through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You cannot, you cannot access the blessings of heaven, the inheritance that God has for you, unless you know him. Remember, Jesus said, many will, this is in Matthew, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, look what we did in your name. We prophesied, we performed many miracles. Lord, even the demons obey. He will then declare to them these most terrible words of truth. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. The knowledge of God, knowing God, and being known by God is absolutely essential. And, and Peter makes that point very, very clearly. He then builds a picture of everything that God has given us to live a fruitful and effective life. He talks about um, his divine power that has given to us everything that we need for life and godliness. He talks about these great and precious promised blessings that enable us to participate in the very nature of God. And, and then he says, given all those things, now build on your faith and add to your faith virtue. He talks about eight qualities or attributes. He says, build on your faith virtue, on your virtue, knowledge, self-control, 
steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and of course, at the top of the tree is always going to be love. And he says, if these qualities are yours, then you'll be pleasing to the Father. But this is the thing that is terrifying to me. Not the risk that I'm lacking in those qualities. Not the risk that any one of us in this church is lacking in those qualities. Because we all have some faith. We all have some love and some knowledge and steadfastness. But he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For me, that is a terrifying scripture. I said, you know, I, w- I want to hear those words from the Father, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want Jesus to be able to say to me, I know your works, your love. I, I recognize your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance and that you grew in your fruitfulness. Your latter works exceed the first. That's what I want to hear. I'm terrified that even though I know God, even though I have had these, this, this intimate journey with him, that because I don't practice those qualities and because those qualities aren't growing in my life, that somehow my life would be ineffective or unfruitful. What, what a tragedy. What, a, what a, a scandal to have that divine power that has given us all things that we need. Everything that we need to, to live a successful, fruitful life. To have access to all those promises. What a shame if we lived then a life that was ineffective and unfruitful. And it's, that comes about if we're not increasing and growing in, um, in these qualities. Um, perhaps just one last scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and, and the, the preceding but are very much along the same vein of what Peter's just been talking about. Now, this is Paul writing, and he talks about, he starts in verse 4. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us. He talks about how we've been made alive in Christ. We've been raised. We've been seated in the heavenly places. All, all the grace of God. And then he says, then he says, for. So that is, that, that links verse 10. For he says, for we are his workmanship. That for means because of. Because of all this blessing, all this equipping, everything that you've been given. And this is what it is intended for. This is the output. That's all the input. This is the output. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for a life of good works that we might walk in them. And that is the outcome that God expects from us. He's called us to a very high standard. He's called us to his own glory and excellence. Uh, if, if he's, uh, Second Peter 2, um, chapter, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 2 again. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Jesus, as you can see from the letters in Revelation, has very high standards. He's called us to that high standard of glory and excellence. And he says that you might live a life of good works. So this is, this is my exhortation to you today. Increase in your fruitfulness. Never give up in doing good works. And be ready in season and out of season to do good works and to be fruitful for God because that is what he wants for us. So let, let me close in prayer and, and pray for us. 
Father God, we thank you that you have given us so much. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for life. Thank you for all your promises. Thank you, Lord God, for every blessing. You've blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've given us so much. Today, Lord, we recognize that you have called us to a high calling. You have called us, Lord, to a life of, of glory and excellence. You have called us to be holy just as you are holy. And you have called us to live a life of increasing fruitfulness. Lord, as long as we are plugged into you, connected to you, as long as we as the branches are grafted into you, Lord Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you help us to be increasingly fruitful. We say, Lord, bring it on. Prune us, Lord. Cleanse us. Lord, do whatever it takes that we might be increasingly fruitful for your glory, Lord. We recognize that you will judge each one of us according to our works. And Lord, help us to be sober-minded, Lord. Help us to be aware of every opportunity to bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.